is from Hebrews. So Hebrews chapter 11. Um, series uh, back to the beginning or going back to the beginning, uh, Genesis. And this particular Sunday, I've, I've entitled the talk The Introduction, which is really original. Um, but it's really The Introduction. It's a faith book. It's a faith book. So if you have a Bible, it should come up at um, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. I'm just going to read a few of the verses there. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Just going down to verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And then at the beginning of Genesis, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it's these words, In the beginning God created. Let's pray. Father, it is wonderful to be able to uh, sing songs of, that bring assurance and confidence in our salvation and in the God whom we love. It's wonderful to sing songs about your, your, your might and your power. You created the world and we can sing about that. But Father, I pray that we won't just sing about those things. I pray that we will also believe them to be true. I pray that this morning you will help us um, in not just being able to sing words, but to believe in our hearts and in our lives the truth of what we sing. Father, we just think of that hymn, And Can It Be? And we know it's a good one because it survived for hundreds of years, nearly 300 years since Charles Wesley wrote those words. We can sing them as though they were written yesterday. And Father, I pray that that we will have such confidence in your creation, in who you are. We pray in your name. Amen. In the beginning, God created at face value those five words. In some ways, they're really easy to understand. You don't need a, you don't need a science degree to at least understand what they're saying, even if um, you don't understand the full impact of them. And yet in the whole of the Bible, they are some of the most controversial words that have ever been written. In the beginning, God created. Uh, probably apart from the life and the death of Jesus, nothing else carries more controversy uh, for the Christian and for those that are looking in on it than Genesis, the book of Genesis. So because we're really brave, and we're actually we're not very brave, we thought, hey, why not do a series on Genesis? Yeah, one of the most controversial books of the Bible um, and, you know, I'm not a scholar by any means, but, um, you know, we just thought, hey, why not, why not do it for fun? Today, as we just open up this series, I'm asking a number of questions, really. I'll refer to those passages, but I'm asking a, a number of questions. Why are we doing it? Uh, why is Genesis in such dispute today? 
there are some assumptions that people make. Uh, why is Genesis so important to the Christian? Um, what do I hope we achieve through this series? And where do we start? So just a little bit about the background. Um, the word Genesis, as you can imagine, means origins. It talks about the beginning of things. And although this isn't universally agreed, it is predominantly agreed that, that most scholars believe Moses wrote Genesis, um, which is a bit interesting because he obviously wasn't there. Um, but most believe that he wrote it as part of the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible. Of those five books, Genesis is probably the most important. And of the book of Genesis, the first 11 chapters are probably the foundational books, foundational chapters, not only of the book or the Pentateuch, but of the whole Bible. We must understand that Genesis is not a scientific book. Yeah, it wasn't designed to answer certain types of questions. So when you read those questions into it, you'll find that it is sadly lacking on those things. It's not a scientific nor is it a historical recording of the beginning. It doesn't say, in the beginning, uh, you know, 1 AD, these things happened. It doesn't work like that. Most of it is narrative. It's just telling a story. Some of it is poetic. It, its purpose is not scientific or historic, but it is there to describe, as Moses saw it, this is how God created the world. And it talks about creation it talks about the fall, it talks about the flood, it outlines this is how it was in the beginning. Now the reason I've called this talk, it's a faith book, is you need faith to believe that. You, you won't believe that because it persuades you um, through its details of scientific processes, it doesn't do that. You need faith to believe that what Genesis is saying is true. Why are we doing a series? Just a couple of reasons, really, or four reasons. Uh, for us, understanding the origins of issues can help us deal with things more effectively today. There's no point in us having a belief about things today and we don't fully understand where it all comes from, where it began, how it started. So us understanding that, I think, will be helpful for us as Christians. Secondly, trying to understand it um, in the light of the whole story of God and what we know later about the gospel and the redemptive plan will be really helpful for us. The fact that it keeps our theology both God-centred and Christ-centred because you see the seedlings of things in Genesis. Some argue that the first 11 chapters of Genesis in embryonic form will cover every issue that you and I will ever face. It won't cover it in detail, but in seed form, it's all there. And also, we live in a world, one of my favourite phrases, where the very beginnings of things is under pressure, it's under scrutiny. And I think we can sometimes think to ourselves, oh well, if we can make some accommodations there, it won't matter too much because we've got Jesus. Yeah? But actually, it does matter because those beginnings are very much linked to Jesus. You can't separate them as easily as we might like. And so there is this thing in me, anyway, just me personally, that there comes a point where the Christian 
needs to go, do you know what? We've compromised enough and we're going to stand here. Yeah? Because it's a faith book. It's not a textbook. It's not a science book. It's not a history book. It's a faith book. There are two assumptions that many people make about Genesis which explains why it's in dispute today. And do you know what? I think sometimes Christians make these assumptions as well. The first is this, that Genesis has been proved to be false. Yeah? That Genesis has been proved to be false. Um, and particularly in relation to the creation story. That, is, that, is, that, that people have proved that that's not how the world started, so why do we still talk about it? And some Christians don't believe the creation story. And I know that because I know for a long while I took the view that when the Bible began, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form, um, and the Spirit of God hovered over the waters, um, and then there's this gap. And you think, oh, maybe I can squeeze evolution into the gap. Yeah? So that way I can read the Bible and I don't need to worry about all these other thoughts and questions because there's a gap in the Bible and maybe that's evolution. Yeah? Some people think that. Uh, uh, or maybe I thought that on my own, I don't know. But I know that I used to think, oh, maybe that's how I can get, can get around some things that I'm actually finding quite difficult. What I want to say is this. Genesis hasn't been proved to be false. It is no more unbelievable, and this is, challenges us a little bit, it's no more unbelievable than the account that Jesus came to earth as a baby, the Son of God, that he, that he grew up, that he did miracles, that he died on a cross and he rose again from the dead and he ascended into heaven. It's no more unbelievable than that, really. It takes faith to believe in Jesus. It takes faith to believe in God. Yeah? Both of them require faith. The thing is, you can't disprove faith. You can't disprove why, why something happened. You can disprove things that are factual, but you can't disprove faith. Therefore, the Bible, and therefore Genesis, has never been disproved. It has been disputed, it has been disbelieved, but it's never been disproved. Do you know, do you know why I say that quite confidently? Because you'll remember, or we won't remember, we would have read that many centuries ago, people believed the world was flat. Yeah? Now, I, I know, I know if I ask the question now, does anyone believe the world is flat? No one's going to put their hands up. Well, you might do as a joke. Yeah? Oh, yeah, I do, I do. Yeah? No one. Yeah? Because it's been proved that it's not flat. Now, when people believed it was flat, they believed it so much that when some people, and I think Galileo was one of them, who said, no, 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 the world isn't flat, it's round, some people were martyred for that thought. They were killed because they believed that the world wasn't flat and it was round, it was such an assumed position. Now, no one has disproved the Bible in the same way they've disproved the fact that the world isn't flat, it's round. No, no one, and you can't because it's a faith it's not a scientific textbook. And so for the Christian, we need to believe what the Bible says. You need to believe it. Secondly, second assumption that people make is Genesis is outdated and irrelevant. So lots of people think, what, what, you, you still believe what in Genesis? You know where it talks about you know, the sun and the moon and Noah? 
People still believe that. And as a Christian, you can feel embarrassed. Yeah, you just get a little bit of well, yeah. man. I don't quite know. No, it's not that I believe in Genesis, but I, you know, I believe. Yeah, we can get embarrassed because um, people think it's outdated and irrelevant. But again, I would say it's no more outdated and irrelevant than believing that Jesus, who died 2,000 years ago, can impact people's lives today. It's no more outdated and irrelevant than that. I can't prove that Jesus existed. I can't, I can't prove it. Somebody stood up to me and said, like, prove that he existed. I, I can't say, well, actually, I've got, I've got... I haven't got anything that proves his existence. I believe it by faith. Yeah? I believe Genesis by faith. And thankfully, thankfully, Hebrews tells us to do exactly that. Yeah? What pleases God is faith. You must believe that he exists. The other thing I would say about Genesis being outdated and irrelevant, which just makes you wonder, is that really true, is two of the biggest issues that we face in our world today is, is the... Is, is people's view of marriage and people's view of male and female and gender roles and all that type of stuff. And you read all about that in Genesis. Genesis is hardly irrelevant. Yeah? In fact, because it's there, it becomes an irritation to people because there is a view that, that makes people, um, you want to crush it, you want to get rid of it, but there is a view that's, that just that just holds a line and it disputes so much of what we are beginning to take for granted in our world today. So it's good for us to remind ourselves uh, of these things. Next, why, why is Genesis important? Well, there are some biblical reasons why it's important. And the first is this. The New Testament writers believed the account of Genesis. Yeah? So it wasn't like you read about Peter and he said, oh no, there are some myths about the, how it all began. No, they believed the account of Genesis. Genesis 2 talks about marriage. It talks about a man leaving his, his father and mother and cleaving to his wife. That is quoted by the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5. The beginning of Hebrews 1 talks about Jesus being there at the beginning of creation. Colossians 1 talks about creation. John 1 talks about uh, Jesus being present at Creation. They believed in the creation story. They didn't throw it aside because it was difficult. Secondly, as I said, it's no more unbelievable than other accounts in the Bible. And thirdly, the Bible is a whole book. It's made up of 66 books. It's made up of different types of writings. But actually, you could call the Bible legitimately, this is God's story. This is how God deals with man and how man has responded to God and this is how God has sought, sought to win a people for himself. This is what the Bible talks about. And the whole book is God's story. You can't pick and choose the bits that, that fit because in your culture these bits are under attack and these bits are not under attack. You've got to go, no, this, this is the story of God. And this is how... Uh, I can believe Genesis chapter 1 because the same God that rose, that saw Jesus rise from the dead says he created the world. Fair enough. Now, that might be really simplistic, and maybe I'm really simple like that, but I can believe it for that reason. Genesis 
is important because of it's the foundation of the Bible. This is one of the reasons it is under attack. But as I say, many things emanate from Genesis. Our belief about God comes from Genesis. Our belief about God created the world comes from Genesis. Our belief about male and female comes from Genesis. Our, belief, our understanding of sin comes from Genesis. Why does the world seem to have so much evil in it? Well, well, actually, when you read Genesis, you begin to understand, oh, sin came into the world. There was a point where everything changed. Our belief about prayer, early in Genesis, it talks about there came a point where people began to call on the name of the Lord. I don't think we ever realised that prayer began in Genesis. It didn't begin in Matthew. It wasn't when Jesus stood up and said, you know, let me teach you how to pray. Actually, people began to call on the name of the Lord in Genesis 4. Our belief about the nations comes from Genesis. Our belief about sibling rivalry. Yeah, sibling rivalry happened. Yeah, I had an older brother. He was always better at things than me. Yeah, I'd, my response to that was, oh, I'll just accept that. He's better. Yeah? I couldn't play table tennis as well as him. I couldn't play badminton as well as him. I wasn't as bright as him. Yeah? I just, now, some people, they fight that. I, I didn't fight it. I thought, I, I need energy just to do the things that I'm doing, <laughs> let alone fighting my brother, who's just a bit better at other things. Yeah? But <laughs> it's fine. Yeah? Um, it, do you know, you learn that lesson early. It really helps. Yeah? You have less scars and, you know... Um, we learn about family from Genesis. We learn about marriage from Genesis. All of those things begin in Genesis. Genesis 1 to 11. And then in Genesis 12, it changes, and you see God focuses in on one man, Abraham. And what does he begin with? He begins with a promise. Yeah. So he promises Abraham, you know, I'm going to bless you, and through you, all nations of the earth, will be blessed. So he never forgets the world, but he begins with a man. And so we get that story. It's foundational. Next, Genesis is important for philosophical reasons. And some of these that you'll know, and, and I want to switch them around. So often we feel as Christians that we are under attack and we've got to try and justify and explain and, oh yeah, yeah, I know the flood sounds a bit odd, but you know, can't really explain it. Um, and we can be a little bit like that, but I just want to switch that round a little bit, and I want to say this. Genesis refutes ancient philosophies, views, religions. It refutes them. It, 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 if you like, it comes against them. You see, there are many, and next week, or the next couple of weeks we'll look a bit at creation, there are many accounts of creation. Yeah, so I've, I've read this week a number of different accounts of how the world uh, was created. And some of them are genuinely, like, fantastic, i.e. they're fantasy. Yeah? And they're not really... It would be hard to defend them. It would be hard to put them to people as, in any sense, reasonable because they don't actually make that much sense. And, and, so, and so, you know, the one philosophy of creation... One story of creation that is really under attack is our one. It's Genesis. And why is it under attack? Because, to be honest, it's the most believable. Yes, there are elements in it which are clearly supernatural. Okay, God said he did these things. 
but it is actually the most believable. It's the most consistent. It's the most understandable explanation of the way the world began. It makes sense to think that behind creation, there was a God. It makes sense. So, so our view of creation refutes atheism, which says that there is no God. It refutes evolution, which says, oh, the world came about without any, any sort of intelligent design, really. No one was really behind it. It refutes that. It refutes humanism, which puts humanity and people as not just the pinnacle of creation, but, but if you like, the, the owners and the, re the responsible ones, when really our gospel puts humanity as the pinnacle of God's creation, but it's God's creation we're the pinnacle of. It's not our own creation. It's not that we did something and suddenly now or we can do what we like. Actually, the Bible te teaches that we have a responsibility. Yeah? God teaches us that we have, in Genesis, that we have a responsibility. But that created order exists. It makes us accountable. It makes us accountable to God, it makes us accountable to each other, and it makes us accountable to creation. You take out Genesis 1 to 11, where do you argue that? Suddenly, lots of other views become really powerful. If you took out Genesis 1 to 11 and you tried to live in a world where nobody felt there was this innate responsibility to something other than ourselves, it would be very hard to argue. But it's there. Genesis affirms a number of things. It affirms and that he's sovereign. He created everything. It affirms that humankind, mankind, is the pinnacle of his creation in that we were made in his image. That's why we're the pinnacle. Because we're made in, not because we're great ourselves, but because we're made in his image. That's what makes us the pinnacle of creation. That God made male and female, and he made them different. He didn't make them the same. He made them different. Roles and responsibilities. And that sin came into the world and it distorted our image and it distorted our relationships and it distorted the very creation that was created. What does God say to Adam when he judges him? Cursed is the ground because of you. Cursed is the very creation because of you. And that happens at the fall. That happens um, when sin enters the world. Just a couple more things, and then uh, we're probably going to just sing one song and, and, and finish. What am I hoping that we get out of a series like this? I want you to get out of a series like this renewed confidence in the first book of the Bible. I don't want you to wander around a little bit embarrassed when your friend says, oh, well, you believe in Noah. Yeah? Because your answer to that is, do you know what? Everything I believe about in the Bible comes from faith. I, I don't believe the Bible because I can prove it all to you. I can't prove it all to you. But the Bible says that, that to believe in God takes faith. And I've got faith. So I believe it because of faith. I want us to have a renewed sense of that. You see... The story of creation is not like the myth and the story of Father Christmas. Yeah? So Father Christmas is a myth, it's a sort of a myth. 
I know, oh, sorry, there might be some children here. Um, there may even be some adults here who are still holding on to that truth. But one of the reasons we know that Father Christmas, and really forgive me, and most of the children have gone who are of the age where they are going to hear this, yeah? And I'm assuming most of us have moved on. And if not, we can contend about Father Christmas if you really want to. But, but one of the reasons we, we believe it's, it, it's, it's like a myth, it's not to say that there, there wasn't a man called St. Nicholas, because I've, I've heard many stories that there was a man called St. Nicholas and he did good and all this type of stuff. And, and so it began there. But the Father Christmas we believe in now is, is a myth. Yeah? It's a fantasy. Yeah? And that's why, beyond the age of eight years old, most people don't believe in Father Christmas. Yeah? M- most people. There might be one or two who, who, who still think it. And, you know, people, you know, you watch any American movie, they talk about the spirit of Christmas and all that type of stuff. But most people don't believe really in Father Christmas. Yeah? And, and it would be really hard to argue that Father Christmas was real and people would like. Yeah? That's not the case with Genesis. Yeah? Very intelligent people believe that Genesis is true. And Genesis, when you read it, it fits. The idea of Father Christmas, it, you think, oh, quite, how, how does that work? You, you know, man with a big beard, what, how does that quite fit? But, but the account of Genesis fits. It tells us certain things that, that the world tells us. It's not, in that sense, mythology. So I, I hope that we get renewed confidence. I also hope that it brings a fresh challenge because some of us, I reckon, don't fully believe that story. We've found a way of accommodating the way the world is in our understanding of Genesis. Oh, yeah, no, I don't really believe that, but you don't need to believe that. And I'm, like, I'm saying, actually, the moment you go there, you're, you're opening a door to all sorts of things. And it's a real shame when the church runs after the world, feels embarrassed and feels like, oh, I've, you know, we've got to try and keep up with the way the world is. I'm like, no, I believe this by faith. By faith. So it's a fresh challenge. Thirdly, I'm hoping that we will be equipped, not, uh, not necessarily in, in lots and lots of knowledge, you know, oh, you know, Aaron didn't give me much knowledge today, so thanks. Um, but, but it's not knowledge that, that you witness with. It's you, you witness partly through faith and through your life and your ability to go, well, the reason I believe this is this. Your reason for believing is not a scientific textbook. It's, it's, it's to do with God. That's why you believe it. And fourthly, that if we get what we're talking about here, and we get the way the world is, and the way the world is moving, you can be so grateful to God for Genesis. Because it really, it really, it stands as, if you like, a, a beacon that refutes some of the ways the world is going. And it enables us to go, oh, thank you, God, you do speak quite clearly about sin, about creation, about male and female, about relationship. You have spoken. You have spoken. And yes, he's spoken in Jesus, but we cannot separate these things as much as we would like. Because do you know what? When you separate them too much, you actually undermine the power of Jesus. If you think, oh, I don't believe in Genesis. I do believe in Jesus. That's what I need to be saved. Jesus believed in Genesis. The redemptive plan begins in Genesis. The seeds of the redemptive plan are right there. You take that away, what are you doing? 
You need to understand that Jesus talks about himself being with the Father before the foundation of the world. You take that away, what are you doing? We don't just believe in Jesus. We believe in all the story, the story which, which builds from the very beginning. So where do we begin? Well, next week we're going to start at the beginning. In the beginning, God created. We're just going to look at those first couple of verses. Then the following week, we're going to look at the image of God because that's one of the things that has been lost through our fascination with lots of other things. We have lost the reality that we are created in the image of God. If you sit here and you have self-image issues about how you look, how you are, whether you're bright, whether you're not, whether you're black, whether you're white, if you have those issues, then there is some truth that you do not understand about what God has done for you. You are created in his image. If you sit here thinking that God is some distant person out there and he's up there and I don't fully understand him and sometimes he does good but sometimes he seems to do bad and and I don't understand who this being of God is. If you sit there with that thought then there are some things you don't understand about him being your father. Because Jesus says of God, you loved me, father, you loved me before the creation of the world. What does that tell us about God? That first and foremost, he's father. Before he created anything, he was a father. And he loved his son. So if you're sitting there and you're thinking, oh no, God's a being and he's all that type of stuff, there are some things that you haven't understood about the very beginnings, which will help you as a Christian, human being, as a man, as a woman, as a young person, as a black, you'll understand some things that will make you go, oh God. Do you know what? We don't love God because he rules and he reigns. We love him because he's our father. You don't love your teacher because they're the, they're the head. Oh, they're the head. I love them. Yeah? You don't love the judge because he releases you. You know, if you go, if you go to court and you get off, you, don't, you, don't then, you might be grateful to the judge for that, but you don't love him for that. You don't love God because, simply because of he sets you free from sin. You love him because he presents himself as father. And that you're his child. And that's the relationship that, that brings love from me to him. It's not because he is great and grand and good and heroic. It's because he's father. That's why Jesus says, when you pray, pray our father. The most intimate prayer in the Bible, John 17, is Jesus saying, Father. And so we're going to look, I'm stealing all my thunder for the next few weeks, we're going to look at some of those things. But what I want us to do now, really, really simply, Phil, do you want to just come up, is um, I'm going to pray. And you know, last week I talked about us activating our faith. And that the way we would do that, the way we would take action on faith is we would simply come out, we'd kneel down and we'd pray. I'm not saying anyone's going to come and, and touch you, but you can come and do that. And I want to give an opportunity, even this morning, for that. Because for some of us, even the little thing I've said, some of us have been provoked and challenged by that. And if you have been provoked and challenged by that, I, I don't want you to sit on it. I don't want you to go, oh, yeah, that's, oh, yeah, that's really interesting. I hadn't thought that way before. No, yeah, you're right, yeah. I don't want you to do that. I want you to, I want you to respond and I want you to act. Yeah? I want you to respond to God. And I want you to take a step 
and activate that faith, that thing that he's challenging you about, rather than it being just, oh yeah, a little challenge which the moment you leave here will be gone, I want you to take a moment to activate that in faith. And so we're going to sing something. I don't know what we're going to sing. I'm sure Phil's got something. We're going to stand and sing. And, and I'm going to encourage you, if, if, if something has pricked you, provoked you, made you think, oh, yeah, oh, I, I need to think about that. Oh, God, I need to repent because I haven't believed that. Then I want you just to come out, just find a space, kneel, and just begin to pray your prayers to God. No one, maybe people will pray for you, but you can come and do your thing. And the reason you're doing that is you're coming in obedience is, is to activate something. Your kneeling is, is, a, is a sign of humility. And do you know what? I want us always to be humble. I want us to recognize week by week that when we come to God, it's, it's, it's through humility. I don't come to him, yeah, bold I approach, but bold I approach on my knees to him. I don't approach saying, you know, I can come to God. No, I come on my knees to him. Whenever I pray, I didn't always do this, but now whenever I pray, in the morning, I kneel. Not because there's anything magic in kneeling, but it is a reminder to me that I approach God with humility. So let's stand. I'm going to pray and we're going to sing. Just if you've been provoked, if you've been touched, it's nothing major. If you know there's a faith thing, because we talked about, it's a faith story. Let me just remind us of that the passage I read earlier from Hebrews and then, we'll, and then we'll sing. I'll read it from here. So why don't we just close our eyes and just focus on him. Now, is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. Let's pray together. Father, we, uh, we come to you this morning and we are grateful for your word. We're grateful for your Holy Spirit that brings understanding and revelation to us of the truth that we've read. And Father, I just want to pray this morning that there will be people today whose, whose faith is strengthened through this morning. Lord, I pray for people today whose maybe they've been provoked and challenged to look again, to consider again the, the claims of the book of Genesis. Not to think of it as, as just oh, some mythology that people have sort of worked out, and, but I found a way of accommodating everything the world says in the book. Father, I also pray for people who will respond with obedience and humility, that maybe there's some repentance that needs to go on this morning, that there might be people who need to say, God, I'm sorry, I have not believed. I have not come to you in faith. I've tried to accommodate things, to make things easier for me. But today I repent of that and I come to you again in faith and believe. 